I'm the one who has to sit with our voices for four hours. Mm, <laughs> mm. Do your voices still pain you when you hear them recorded, or now are you used to it? Um, they they pain me. I I do a I do a rough edit. I very rarely listen to an entire episode. Ha! I hate it. Yeah, it's I hate looking at pictures of myself, frankly. Yeah. I just auditioned to be the voice for my audiobook. And they were like, okay, you can do it. And then they said, but listen to this woman too. And I put her on in front of one of my daughters and my mom. And they were like, well, yours is good. So many, so many, so many damn books. Hello and, and welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Samantha Hunt with us in the damn library today. Welcome. Samantha, thanks, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, Samantha Hunt is the author of The Dark Dark Stories, which she's here to talk about, but she's also the author of Mr. Splitfoot, The Invention of Everything Else, which is about Tesla. That's right. And um, The Seas. And you're the recipient of numerous awards, including the National Book Awards 5 Under 35. Woo! Write for The New Yorker, McSweeney's, New York Times Magazine, other publications, and live in upstate New York. So you've escaped. I have. Good. I left. <laughs> Good what, on you. Eight years ago, I left. Still teach at Pratt, so I'm down here all the time. But oh, so you mm-hmm. didn't really. Leave. I didn't really escape. <laughs> it's just like it's the low Earth orbit escape. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Well, uh, as usual with the occasion of an author visiting, uh, I made a cocktail inspired by your book. Um, But this one's just called The Dark. And I tried to make it actually a a black drink um, and started with blackberries. And then my creme de violet is very, very dark. It's it's a, it's you can't even see through it. It's it's such a dark blue purple color. Um, so I thought these two things together would be really dark, especially in whiskey. Turns out, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it's pink, <laughs> but if, with a little bit of blue curacao and some old-fashioned bitters, it looks like there's a shadow inside the drink. Um, and so that is the dark living within the red, I guess. <sighs> And it's beautiful and it's delicious and less pink, more bloody. Yeah. I, I want to say bloody. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. That's, um, that probably has to do with the aesthetics of the dark, dark more <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I guess. And it matches my outfit. It does match your outfit. <laughs> People should go, um, on our Instagram and see with the author for yourselves. Photo. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get to talk about the dark, dark, let's talk about books we bought. Sure. Drew, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I, like many others, am in the middle of the insane brilliance that is season three of Twin Peaks. Sure. Mm. Uh, And I heard that it had come out last year. I hadn't picked it up until very recently. I actually found it walking through Park Slope on a stoop, which was awesome. (laughs) Mark Frost, who's the co-creator of the show, wrote this book, The Secret History of Twin Peaks. Wait, and you found this recently, like, on the stoop? On the stoop. So someone was watching season three of Twin Peaks, and they were like, like, screw it. And they're deaccessioning Twin Peaks materials, that seems, yes. Never mind. Their loss (laughs) is my game. Um, It's really cool. I'm looking forward to really diving into it. It is is totally fully designed. It's, um, like, 
Meriwether Lewis's journal. Mm-hmm. It's UFO reports. It's it's one of those cool. kind of books. Love that um, stuff. But I am curious to see. I'm not expecting it to answer any questions. Yeah, no, it'll just pose them. Yeah, but I'm stylishly. You know, I'm down for that. I love a stylishly posed question. Um, that sounds awesome. Yeah, uh, Samantha. I last night bought two books. I bought Transit, the new Rachel Cuss. Cool. Because cool. my book group is doing it. Haven't cracked it yet. And then I bought um, Mariana Enrique's The Things They Lost in the Fire. Oh, Argentinian yeah. short stories. I don't know anything about it yet, but I'm got a really so cool excited. Yeah, it's yeah, got it a does. beautiful cover. Um, and it came highly recommended. And I think because of the dark, dark, I'm just surrounding myself with story collections right now, too. And somebody said, oh, creepy stories. Here you go. Nice. Cool. I think they're scary. I think it's, I think, borderline horror. Even. Oh, okay. So we'll, I'll see how far Filing I can get into away. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> right to October country for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher? I, um, um, I, was, I was sent uh, Grace by Paul Lynch, uh, which... Uh, a dear friend of the show, Will Chancellor, has been uh, pumping up and talking about a lot. Yeah. And uh, I always trust Will's taste, and I'm very excited about this. It's, I guess it's about a 14-year-old who is just sort of sent off in men's clothing to fend for herself, and her little brother sort of follows her. And it's on the eve of the Great Famine in Ireland. Ooh. And so uh, that sounds all great to me. I love a young protagonist in, like... And in dire circumstances, for some reason, that is something that I really enjoy. Um, Dressed in boys' clothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So it's going to be really good. I'm excited. Cool. Yeah. Uh, So that's that. I like this part of the show already because just the unknown. You're like, here's this thing. And I have no idea what it is. And I'm still going to talk about it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading that story. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking Uh, of stories. Speaking of stories and story collections, The Dark Dark, um, your new story collection. Yeah. Uh, It is a fascinating collection. And um, I was just curious how you describe it to other people, like for for our listeners, what, what would make them pick it up? I think the easiest way to describe it, and I'm just starting to describe it as one whole thing, but is the idea of the dark, dark and what that means to me. And it's some sort of, um, some sort of like standing at a threshold and having one foot over here and then one foot looking out and being like, what is that thing behind the corner over there? Um, and so I think each story in some way deals with that. What is that over there? Or, you know, what was that? I didn't hear that. Or, you know, some sort of miss, um, peeking out of a hiding place yeah some <laughs> sort of some sort of like not fully understood piece of information um that's a bad way to describe the dark dark <laughs> it also has to do with i mean it does it has to, almost all the stories have to do with an interface with the night mm-hmm. and the idea of not being scared of the night but dwelling in the night mm-hmm. you know and trying to be like it's okay the night's okay the night's okay um, but not truly believing that. Also being like, oh, it's kind of not okay. All right. Mm. I mean, no, and then another part of the dark, dark is just the the darkness of women's experience in the world and the, you know, the misunderstoodness of women. Um, 
the dark dark yeah yeah (laughs) you you kind of answered it with the first part of this but i was going to ask you how you define your literary aesthetic Mm -hmm. Mm. the only the only book that i haven't read is your tesla book but from what i've heard it falls into sort of the same vibe and that it's like i i want to tell people like yeah they're they're like gothic they're like near horror they're fantasy but they're not they're not any of those things and yet they are weird yeah i i'm the question of genre is so interesting for me because i do feel like okay so maybe i'm a horror writer like i got nominated for a horror prize and it was came as a big surprise to me i was like (laughs) oh my god really um but but then i think okay so if i'm a horror writer then what's the horror? And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm a horror writer and the horror is sexism. And so, uh, you know, what's the real horror? I Somebody said last night at the reading, they were like, the horror is living under Trump. And I was like, yeah, exactly. I was like, this is the horror movie of our life, you know? And so I think that question of genre is so interesting. The one way I think about my writing and, you know, I'm equally, I don't know how to, I'm sorry, I don't have a good answer. I should have like, somebody suggested, oh, you should call yourself a neo-Gothic writer. And I was like, Okay, but no, but I'm, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but one thing that I always think of is Ed Park, you know, the writer Ed Park. He's, yeah. so an, oh, he's one of my favorite writers and he's such a good guy. And he has a line in one of his stories that says, somebody's like, oh, you write mysteries? And he's like, well, there's mysterious elements. And I always think, okay, that's my genre. Ooh. <laughs> It's not, not a genre. mystery. It's it has not mysterious a mystery, elements. but there's mysterious elements. Yeah, I, I get that. That, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, one thing that you would notice from each of these stories is, I mean, you get with some short stories that they're, um, they're like, all take place on a train, and it's someone just thinking about. I'm thinking mm. obviously of like an Alice Munro short story, yeah. um, but yours each one of these like so much happens even in the short ones there's so much plot and i guess my question is 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 plot your way in like is something happen and you're like oh i need to put that in a story mm, i that i'm so glad to hear you say that because i feel like i'm really bad with plot <laughs> so i'm like oh my gosh i can write plot okay that's good news i i think that the way that so much gets in is that the way i think about writing is kind of kitchen sink like where I think oh throw that in okay I'll throw that in and I often describe it as like making a chalk outline around this body Mm. in the inside that I don't know what the body is but I'm like okay I'll take that point I'll take that point I'll take or like a constellation right so you're making this outline and then you're like oh that's a horse in the sky or oh that's a um and so there's these little nodes and they start building up I mean a love story is probably the best example of that where it's really built in like here's one thought here's the next thought Mm -hmm. here's the next thought and the way that I wrote the seas was in 250 short little pieces originally. Oh, cool. And then I just spread them out on the floor and I was like, okay, put these in some order that makes a narrative. Mm. And that sounds very much, we uh, recently had Rachel Kong on the show. Oh, and we're talking with her brought about for her book club book, Mary Robeson's oh, Why Did God. I Ever? Oh, it, oh yes. Oh. <laughs> I feel like we're in a club oh, now. Oh, yeah. Mary Robeson. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, I, yeah. She is a huge influence. I mean, the way that she constructs all of her work like that. And even further back, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but E.M. Siren, 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 who just used to write in all aphorisms. It was just like one aphorism. Or David Markson, too, right? Oh, yeah. David Markson's yeah. novels just constructed out of these tiny little jigsaw pieces that end up hopefully who was it? it was david shields that did that like of other people's things yeah, to tell a story yeah, reality, reality hunger, hunger. Mm-hmm. yeah david shields was actually one of my teachers that's cool mm-hmm. i mean that's kind of i mean i thought while i was reading that book like this is this is a book meant for studying in a college course like, <laughs> it's written to for college <laughs> courses to, to pull apart to pull apart yeah <laughs> I heard a rumor, and you can tell me if this is true, um, that you have a sister named Norma. No? I have a grandma named Norma. Okay. I do. I have a grandma so named So you have a Norma. family member named Norma. Yep. There's mm-hmm. a, it's an important character in the book, uh, uh, Norma. Did, was I mean, choosing that name, it is, it is a very specific yeah. name. It's not like, I don't know two Normas personally. Um, I just met my second Norma last night, so it's very strange that you would just say <laughs> that you don't know two Norma. Maybe like my life is complete now and that now I've met the second Norma. That's the secret. And so this, the Norma who I met last night, so my grandma just died this year. She was 102, oh. 102, Ooh. lived a great life, and she was an epic, epic woman and, and looms very large in my imagination, thus all the Normas in, in my writing. Um, but when I met the Norma last night, we'd been emailing for a while, and I just assumed she was like, you know, a 75 year old woman <laughs> and she's this 20 year old girl. And I was like, oh, OK. Oh, I was like, Norma, I have to readjust. And she actually told me that she's named for it was either her grandma or her great aunt. And so I was like, OK, phew. All right. At least you're you, you like carry the old lady with you somewhere. <laughs> it's such a wonderful old lady name. But um, but Marilyn Monroe. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that's true. But she. I mean, she got rid of it. She got rid of it. She had to <laughs> shake off the old lady. And then she didn't get to be an old lady. Oh. Ooh. Don't get rid of your normaness. The story that Christopher mentioned, um, or the stories, I guess, mm-hmm. it it's very rare that I read a short story collection where it feels like the collection has a purpose other than to collect stories right like that it it it's, reaches some other like yeah. the, they they also fit together even if they're not quite without linked. you know i mean there are like linked story collections that's a whole other thing right yeah. this uh and i i don't want to give too much away mm-hmm. but structurally you pull off one of the coolest things i think i've ever read since like the prestige oh, of just a, a it's not even a trick so much as it is this thing that happens where when you look at the table of contents, you're like, there's a story called the story of of. And, the, and there's the a story, story, the story of of. And you're like, that's yeah. weird. Mm. And then you don't think about it because you're reading the rest of the book. <laughs> and you get to it and I don't want to give away. No, but I do want, it does make me ask the question um, that just what does, what does telling stories mean to you? Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think for me, the reason I tell stories is to make sense of the world, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't understand that thing. Write a story and then you'll understand it, which doesn't necessarily happen. I mean, here we just had this conversation about mystery, right? It's like, 
I'll write a story and then I'll be like, hmm, st- okay, still don't understand it. Mm-hmm. But now the story's done and maybe <laughs> maybe someone who reads it will understand it. I, I do, I think, um, yeah, I think that telling stories is about having a question, not necessarily answering it, but trying to write towards a question. Mm. Ooh. That makes sense. Especially I'm, for this particular uh, duology of stories. And yeah. then, then having all the other stories in between them as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, those two stories, I don't know if I, if this is a spoiler or anything, but I mean, they are, it was a story that I just really struggled with. And I think I wrote 30 different drafts of it. Huh. And to arrive at two totally different stories, but yet, <laughs> but yet somehow they informed each other. I was like, oh, I can't. I, and for a while I thought, oh, I have to discard one of them. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, it really felt like discarding, you know, a part of me. I was like, no, I don't want to deny the like freaky duplicating thing. And I don't want to also deny the more straight up storytelling. Mm. And so then I was like, oh, keeping them both. And it was, <laughs> it was like a moment of reckoning and a moment of freedom where I was like, you can be both things. You don't have to choose. You don't have to choose. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate like in queerness of being non-binary i was like yes <laughs> <laughs> i mean that just makes me think of the a lot of details that like pop up and some of that some of them seem like you they pop up and it means something like especially like there was tick finding and maybe it's just oh, because yeah. i'm terrified of ticks mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. that like both times that they came up in stories i was just like oh <laughs> wisely so i mean it's like the undetected thing that sneaks into your life and ruins it right and and yeah i mean that well i mean first of all i live where there's tons of ticks so of course i'm obsessed with it um and tons of deer and tons of wildlife like i mean nightly there are coyotes outside my house and i'm like oh and i try to pretend that it's not scary to my girls i'm like oh listen to that wonderful sound of the coyotes howling and and even you know even the owls start to sound scary sometimes and i'm like isn't that lovely isn't that wonderful but um but the tick god i mean and also just having a memory of before ticks too like i grew up here in this area and there were no ticks and so it's hard to not see them as this encroaching invasive species yeah Hmm. yeah this encroaching destruction too right a love story is it's a story that was just collected in the new yorker for folks who maybe haven't picked up this collection yet it's, yeah and you can is, actually listen to it on the um author's voice yeah, podcast which is, which is so really cool, cool to hear so you read cool it that they do that yeah it's I really love neat that. it brings me back to something you said earlier too as you were coming up with sort of like the three tiered ways to get into this story it felt like the feminist story for right now and it, it like it just it has a potency to it that I like want to. I want to share it with everyone, just because it feels like one of the stories that we need right, right. now in yeah, 2017. It felt like the sort of thing that you know would would should be shared was shared widely with the, the women's march. Like yeah, like, oh would, that's so cool. And I'm, thank you. I'm curious to know, uh, because I'm guessing that the story it presages was, the 2016 election. Yeah. How it how it feels to have a story that suddenly like 
captures the zeitgeist kind of after you wrote it like Mm. what does that feel like i it a lot of it started before that but a lot of it was after it really yeah a lot of it was after it and it was really like a place to put the rage you know it's like what do you do with this much anger which is basically anger female anger is what i've been writing about ever since (laughs) um the election but um that piece i did start it before but it but it did it also was built a lot after it that's the most recent story in the collection oh interesting and and so i mean i was working on it the night before the new Yorker published it still i was like wait hold on (laughs) hold on hold on but i mean that's not to say it was also built clearly in that way of here's one little piece here's one little piece Mm -hmm. so the piece about like the friend who um got really into chat roulette after she'd had a mastectomy, that's that's a real friend of mine, and that piece has been in place for the past ten years. And I've always been like, oh my god, I need to use I need to use Lee's old story about how she goes on chat roulette and sometimes shows the fact that she doesn't have breasts anymore, you know, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so it was a slow building, but it's a good thing chat roulette still exists. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That does, it, it really makes me happy to think that good art will come out of everything that's happening right now. Because I feel like yeah. it's a thing, it's a conversation that I have at work a lot of like how I, to respond immediately is a kind of complicated thing. But to, to know that this story kind of came out of that anger, it makes me very confident that great work is going to come out of this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. It is going to take some processing. It's going to take processing yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, just, just right now starting to write about anger, I'm like, Oh, I'm really <laughs> angry. Oh, okay. You know, it takes a while to recognize how furious we are. Yeah. Yeah. So you brought with you, uh, things to do when you're goth in the country and other stories by Chaviza Woods. Yes. And I'm just curious what what made you decide to bring this particular book to us today? I I was sent this book as a TypeScript, you know, like typed pages. Mm-hmm. Oh, not even... Uh, no, so I, I not even know... Bound. Not even bound. And um, I... That, that made me at first like, hmm... What is this, you yeah. know? And then as the but within like, you know, two pages, I was like, well, this is my favorite book. <laughs> and and so uh, I was so floored by all of it. I I feel like there's always in a story collection, there's oftentimes stories that you're like, mm, okay, they just jam that in there. That is so not true. Every story in this collection, I think, is this perfectly crafted, beautiful, weird thing that's completely unexpected. And I I partly brought it too because I hadn't heard much about it. I'm like, well, everyone should have this book. This is this should be the hillbilly elegy that people are reading. I'm like, this, yeah. you know, this is like the alternative hillbilly elegy, and it's so. I love true, the quote beautiful. of yours that ended up on the front cover of Murakami meets the Meth Heads because mm-hmm. I had that in my mind as I started reading it. And I mean, speaking of Twin Peaks, the first story in this collection, I was like, shit, this is. That in like everything that David Lynch is doing right now, she boiled it down and put it into a story mm-hmm. that manages to combine so many things that I love yep. stylistically, thematically, and it just like knocks it out of the park. I know it. I know. And all of her her obsession with like 
you know, reality, what does that mean, right? And so she presents immediately, like, the world of drugs, the world of mental illness, the world of marginalized communities, like queer people or um, poor people or whatever it may be, and throws them all into this this mix together so that you're forced to be like, wait, this is all about a question of there's more than one reality. And, you know, and I think that that's like the most political action that she could do right now that she's like supernatural. Who cares? Because some of the stories have this supernatural element and some of them don't. Right. And I think in, in, in doing that, she's, she's like, you know, she's saying like, yeah, it's all about a question of reality and you can't, I, I go and it goes back to our question about genre or the conversation about genre too. She's like, mm, whatever, right? Whatever yeah. fits well, and yeah. that's kind of what's mm-hmm. so cool about these stories is, is like even in that first one that you were talking about, Drew, which is called um, "How to Stop Smoking in Nineteen Thousand Two Hundred and Eighty Seven Seconds." Usama, Usama. <laughs> I uh, love the italicized. I oh, I know. It's just right up my alley. And so that story is about um, someone who's visiting their hometown, and they've escaped, but mm-hmm. they've come back for their to talk to their brothers. Yeah. And um, like, there's just a little like ghost of like an alien story, where it's like someone thinks that they had an alien encounter in these woods, and it's like pretty much brushed off. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out to be very important. Yeah. Um, These and glowing green orbs. orbs exactly. Right? And like, it, that's what really keeps you off kilter is like, that's the first story. And so you think like, oh, this is one of those story collections where it's one, like a normal story and then an, a sci-fi thing happens, which right. like you've read that short, short story collection yeah. um, before. But this one, like, there'll be just like it'll just be normal. It'll be well, even the second norm- story, which is called Zombie, and so oh. you've been set up with this expectation of okay, I see what we're doing. It's gonna be, and then it's just nothing a- supernatural happens. No. No. It's creepy. Yeah, nothing supernatural happens. And that's that's two teenagers who come across sort of a um, a homeless woman who's living in a mausoleum in the cemetery. I have to say that story is the one that cut me the deepest zombie. It, mm. Even though nothing supernatural happens, it really cut me the deepest because I, I mean, because the whole thing is a question of death and it's like, what does it mean to be dead? Does it mean that you're, you know, a drug addict living in a mausoleum? Oh, and <laughs> that to me was more haunting than any of the supernatural oh, elements. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, I don't know because I can't spoil that story. I won't say. I can't, oh, but it's so creepy and it's so magnificent. Um, my my favorite story by far in this, and it was one. Um, it was one of these things where I read it and just had to turn to the stranger next to me and be like, "Can I tell you?" <laughs> about this thing I just read because <laughs> <laughs> I had to talk about what it was. It was yeah. this story called a new Mohawk. Yes. Oh yes. And it's about someone who ends up with a Mohawk of the Gaza strip, a miniaturized version of exactly what's going on. They're not sure exactly how long the, the lag time is, yeah. but um, we're tiny dead people. You know, t- yeah. If they, if someone dies on the Gaza strip, they die in their, the person's real life and, and falls fall off, off of their head. head. Mm. And so it's a weird story that you're thinking like, oh, she must be losing her mind or something. And then she's on news organizations and newscasts as a talking head to show like, no, this is real. And she becomes politicized. Um, It was a very interesting like comment on like 
you know, you're sold as your story and, mm -hmm, yeah. um, and, and what happens when you're like co-opted by media and used for someone else's narrative mm -hmm. as well as like, she didn't know the character doesn't know anything about the Gaza Strip. Like that's not something that she knows about at all. So like having to contend with this thing that she didn't understand. I mean, so I'm, it was a very strange conversation that I had with this stranger. <laughs> But they were like, yeah, no, it sounds good. <laughs> so I'm getting off the train. Goodbye. <laughs> it feels like a George Saunders sort story in some ways. Yeah. Um, and, and I think she really moves in a bunch of different modes and uses a bunch of different ways of using these short stories. And George Saunders is just one person, one stylist that she, she sort of, Co I don't know, co-ops the style of, I don't know if it's his style. It's but inspired it's, by. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And in like, in the best way, um, I recently read Flannery O'Connor's uh, Good Man is Hard to Find yeah. with my book club because none of us had ever read Flannery O'Connor. And we were all like, wow, she's a great story writer, super racist. Guess that's why we didn't read her. But because I was reading those stories when I read Revelations in this collection, mm. it's, it's these good country people mm -hmm. they're all church going and it's it, the story sets up to be like oh we're going to talk about this sort of like out there preacher we're going to have to get him out and the story just takes a like the lady killers at like coen brothers ask comedic turn uh involving some of the sexual practices of the congregants and this old woman who's completely floored by it and that i was just like this is it felt like she was like yeah I see what these story writers I had to read in college were doing. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the fact that she can mix such different temperatured stories too, like the Gaza Strip story, then I think that... Which is which is also pretty funny for how... Like, yeah. For yeah. <laughs> well, because it's almost like told as like a hangover story. In yeah. some way, it's like, I woke up after a crazy night and yeah. here was the Gaza Strip in my head. Yeah. But to mix that then with the story that follows the one about Tyson and the recruiter, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So so a young man is um, told that his dreams of becoming a Hollywood director will never happen, e despite the fact that that's all he's ever dreamed of Ooh, and wanted. And then he ends up, you know, enlisting in the army and then comes back to the school as a recruiter. And it's a straight up traditional narrative story. But the fact that she can tell that right after the Gaza Strip story, and it's like, okay, here's two different meditations on what it means to be a military nation. And I, I, that to me, the, the leap that she wants her readers to take between it was one of the most satisfying experiences mm. that she's like, we can deal with war on many different levels here. We can talk about war metaphysically. We can talk about war you know, actually in our high schools, right? Ah, oh, that was so chilling to me, the way that she was able to move so fluidly between these different forms of storytelling. Mm. Yeah. That's true. You know, I mean, I read your story collection and her so close together. Um, and they both, there are some similar themes that you guys, even, you know, cigarettes in yeah. particular, <laughs> like there's so yes. much cigarette smoking in She's this book. She's obsessed with cigarettes Like, too, yeah, yeah. A, a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, it, that sometimes I was, I am attributing the stories wrong, um, because I read them so close to one another, but, um, I think that's just like, they these are powerful and they, she moves in so many modes and you do too. And this is a small press. This is seven stories press, mm -hmm. um, which I hadn't even, I'm not going to lie. I hadn't heard of yeah, um, before, before this they sent this collection to, 
Um, so it's it's great. This this collection felt uh, there's an analogy. I forget who said it to me, but I'm very fond of it about music and how at concerts there are usually three performers. There's the headliner. There's sort of like the second build person, and there's the opener. And the opener shows up, and they like they do their thing. There's nobody there except for their friends. It's great. The headliner, they show up, and they like kind of can walk through it because they're the headliner. It's the second band who you have to watch out for because they're the ones who are going to show up yeah. and blow the doors off the place mm. and like try and outdo whoever they're headlining to just be like, this is our chance. This collection felt like a second set at a concert. It felt like that that second opener oh, who's like, yo, I am here. This is my shot, and I'm not throwing yeah. it away. <laughs> and I am not throwing away my shot. Every, every single one of these stories, and then in the cumulative effect, it's just, it, it's astounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's, I love that, that way of thinking of it. I refused to quote Hamilton too. I, I said <laughs> it backwards I, purposefully. I, I think it was already. I'll do it, it for there, you. It's though, fine. In my head. I know. I was like, I just love the title. I love the title and the title story. And even the, though I think it affected me sort of not the least, but I was reading it in the country and I was like sitting outside in a black T-shirt. It is from the Jack White's band, The Dead Weather. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was sitting out like drinking coffee at seven o'clock in the morning at a picnic table in the country. And my girlfriend walked out and she was like, goth in the country, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I love it when a theme works out. <laughs> and I did feel like that final story too did that thing that we were talking about earlier where it made this collection into something... I don't know. It was like a trap door that opened it up to for another lens, right? And she was like, "If you didn't get it before now, <laughs> this is this is it, people. This is it." And it was almost, you know, it was like a list of instructions to yeah. follow, right? And These I thought, are the things I to did do. think that was amazing about it. And <laughs> yeah. so it almost comes after you've been weathered all these stories that are so intense and so amazing, and you've been on this wild ride. It comes as like that final beating where she's like, "I want you to understand," that, you know, and I love loved that about it i yeah, loved it totally it's a it's a completely um bizarre and it, it's also something that made me remember and i i don't know why i keep needing to be prodded in this way but short story collections are great and they're so so fantastic and i fall into that thinking all the time when i hear of someone writing a new book and like i don't know like so, uh, one of my favorite writers is going to come out with a new book and it's a short story collection and i'm like oh well, <laughs> and i shouldn't feel that way because it's it there's so many different ways that they can go and it's so strange how publishing treats that. short story collections right. that way like mm, yeah that's great <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah i i totally agree with you i uh, someone just asked me recently about writing short stories and i brought up my father always had this wisdom about that novels are broken short stories and i was like yeah there's something really truthful about that idea that they are in some way mm-hmm. you know that this short story is the highest form because you have to keep so many balls in the air at the same time it's like you have to be really attentive to language and you have to be really attentive to plot and everything you have to be mm-hmm. in this yeah. tiny little closed room Right, there's not the razzle-dazzle them of a novel that's just like, there's so much going on. Uh There's 300 pages for you to figure things out. (laughs) Yeah. And even just the idea of the miniature in this age of like massive consumption, there's something lovely about like 
how can the miniature be more effective? How right. can it? Yeah. And it can be its own. It can be in its own uh, maximum too, because you can read so many short stories. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I got yeah. through 300 yeah. worlds today. <laughs> Just like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. It's crazy. <laughs> Speaking of other worlds, yeah, let's. Um, should we recommend something? Let's recommend books. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah. Christopher, would you like to start? Yeah, I'm going to recommend um, a short story collection Ooh. that I deeply loved. And it was sort of my my early college, collegiate wake-up call into the power of the short story. And it's Amy Bender's classic, Willful Creatures. Um, a lot of love gets praised on um, Girl with the Flammable Skirt, which is fantastic. But my favorite story, short story that she ever wrote um, is in is in Willful Creatures. And it's um, it's the story called The Leading Man. And it's about a, a boy who's born with 10 fingers, but instead of them being like bone fingers, they're keys. Hmm. And each, each finger unlocks one important moment in his life. Oh, ooh. Such a cool story. Mm-hmm. And you're just following those 10 moments. Um, but they, it's, it's full of fantastic stories like that. And uh, Amy Bender is a master of of a short story as well as the short story that makes you like want a whole world of that thing. And yeah, Amy Bender, Willful Creatures. That's my recommendation. Nice. Um, do you want to go next Drew? Sure. Um, Alas Babylon by Pat Frank. Mm-hmm. It's an older book. Uh, it Got Harper reissued, Perennial. Right? Yeah. yeah. Reissued it as an olive edition a couple of years ago. Um, I had finished I had finished a whole swath of show reading and I was like, you know, I just want to read like I'm just going to pull something off of my to read shelf. I'm not going to think about it too hard. Screw it. Uh, and this one, it's I was just like, yeah, this this feels right. It's a, I it was like it's something about a nuclear apocalypse. I don't know. Light, cheerful reading. Uh, <laughs> I started reading it and I ended up being late for work. <laughs> I missed my stop. I walked down the street continuing to read the book. It is um it is about a, a nuclear event that happens during the Cold War. And um it is it is just written with this relentlessly compelling fear. Like for the first time in my life I understand what it must have been like to be living in the late 50s, early 60s, under the threat, the genuine threat of nuclear annihilation between Russia Whoa. and the U.S. Mm. Um, and then it turns into a novel about, like, what the hell do you do after? Mm-hmm. Like, after the bombs have gone off and the major places, and like there's it down in Florida, which didn't really get hit, but right. everything else is gone, yeah. so what are you going to do? Yeah. But, man, the first hundred or so pages... I basically, once I started reading, I could not stop because I, I was just like, it's going to happen. And I, I just need to know. I need to see. W-. And then I got to work and I was like, uh, yeah, I could hide under this desk. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Knocked me out. Mm. Um, Alas. Current oh. current events may vary, so like choose your time wisely. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah. Samantha? The book I want to recommend, I'm afraid it doesn't come out until October of this year, but I have to recommend it cool. because it was so unbelievable. It's it's available already in Spanish, the Spanish-speaking people. There yeah. you go. Sorry, you can get it. <laughs> um, but it's Cristina Rivera Garza's uh, The Iliad Crest, and the Feminist Press is publishing it in October. And again, something that was sent to me blindly, and I was like, hmm, what's this? And I'm, I am a bad person that I hadn't heard of Cristina's work before this. Um, she only has one other book that's translated, and my Spanish is really, really bad. But she's kind of a um, a border person. I think she's she lives both in Houston and in Mexico. Mm. And uh, the book is all about the idea of bar- borders. I mean, similar to what we were talking about with Shavisa, it's about borders of like mental health and drugs, and it's all set in. Um, some sort of asylum for older people. Mm. There's questions about reality. There's questions about gender. There's questions about doubles. It's all these sweet spots it hits for me. There's people who are saying that they're this person and they're not that person. And so it has this mysterious element mm. to it. And it's it's also just the briefest little bit of a novel, which I love, back to the idea of the miniature. And it's also set by the sea. It's like everything. I'm like, can you, could you take everything that I love and throw it into this tiny little cup and then I can drink it down? Um, this is the Iliac Crest. Wow. Cool. Sounds fantastic. Man, Feminist Breast, they are a publisher who I had never heard of they're until the Tournament Books. Killing it Another killing it. And Black Wave. And I just like They are killing everything. it recently. Yeah. I know. It's very cool. Yep. Cool. Samantha, thank you so much for joining us yeah. here today. Thank you for having me. And for both this book and all of your books. Yes. We really, um, we're, bi- we're big fans For here. the mysterious elements. Yeah. <laughs> I really love that. Yeah, I'm mystery. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. It's not a mystery. It has mysterious elements. Yeah. Mm. Um, and everyone at home, playing at home, uh, please uh, go to our website somanydamnbooks.com for any book lists yep and, got them all there and leave us an iTunes review and if you're feeling particularly magnanimous we have our Patreon patreon.com slash smdb and uh, if you give us a dollar or more we send you other stuff you did the you did the thing Rosecrans told us the NPR thing where if you yes. smile, you have to smile. It really makes people want to do the thing that you're talking about I and listen smiling. harder. Yeah, that was impressive. Thank you. So we'll <laughs> see you. Uh, we'll see y'all soon. Thank you again, Samantha. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.